Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Kira, hang on a second. Preston, hang on a second. This is their last Sunday with us. I know. But it's because Preston insists on being called into ministry. And it looks like that Nazarene Theological Seminary thinks so much of Preston and Kira that they have worked really hard to get Preston and Kira to come that way. And so they've agreed and they leave Friday. They're going to be traveling for some time before you go, but they're going to end up. And he's going to Nazarene Theological Seminary as one of their scholarship students out there. And they leave a gaping hole in our church community. Preston's been a fantastic helper and an intern with our youth ministry. And Kira has become such a trusted presence, this great combination of talent and heart out here in the front. And we're gonna miss you guys desperately and expect you to come back here, okay? Now what we're gonna do when we get to prayer time, we'd like for you to come and find a prominent place we wanna surround you because we're gonna kinda act like the missionary church sending you to that great wasteland, Kansas City, okay? (laughs) So uh, we would like to pray with you before you leave, okay? Love you both. Let's give them a hand as they... uh... We also have a very honored guest here with us today, and I want you to hear from Reverend Rojas. Now, you may have heard about this effort before. We are actually helping, as a district, we are helping to um, uh, create another district uh, for the island of Cuba. Now you have two districts in Cuba, whereas before you had one. Now you have western Cuba and eastern Cuba, and our district is helping to support and uh, make possible this eastern Cuba district, and their first ever district superintendent is here with us today. So would you help me welcome Reverend Pepe Rojas to the platform and Mary Johnson. Bienvenidos. <laughs> that was Spanish. Uh, yeah. Welcome. Bring us greetings. Gloria a Dios, hermano. Dios le siga bendiciendo. God continues to, to do things. Le damos gracias a Dios porque nos da la dicha de estar en esta preciosa mañana. I give thanks to God for this uh, precious morning to be here with you. Y transmitirle. Un saludo no solamente nuestro como greeting. pastor y superintendente en el distrito este. From the pastor as as a pastor and as the district superintendent from the east district. Sino de nuestra familia. From my family. 71 pastores que. From 71 pastors. Estamos sirviendo al señor allí como colaboradores del de su reino. We are we are working there as collaborators Amen. for the work. Y dale gracias a Dios también por 
Amén. Por su pastor y hermano give, y colaborador en el reino de Dios. I give thanks to uh, also for your pastor as a collaborator in the work. Y por la dicha de habernos acogido para asociarse con nuestro distrito. For your help and support in, in this new district. En el distrito este. In the district, east district. Y estamos. Yo digo pues primera vez está impresionado, man, y, y dándole gracias a Dios por poder estar acá con con ustedes y compartir. Amén. Lo que Dios está haciendo en Cuba, aparte de ti. Y le damos gracias al Señor por todo. Yo sé que hay muchos pastores que ya están orando por acá, por el distrito. A lot of my pastors are my pastors are glad I'm here as your district superintendent. Para que Dios siga abriendo y moviendo el corazón de su pueblo para servir al Señor también en aquella área también. Y una iglesia que le ama mucho allá también. Amén. Thank you very much. Hang on, I'm going to ask a couple of a second, a couple of questions here. Wait a minute, Mary. Ask him if God really is alive and well in Cuba. Él está preguntando si Dios verdaderamente está vivo y bien en Cuba. Is that a yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. How many churches just in eastern Cuba? ¿Cuántas iglesias solamente en Cuba este? Tenemos 53 iglesias establecidas y 18 misiones de iglesias que ya son iglesias en este año y 28 nuevas misiones que tenemos para este año. Right. And how many, how many preaching points? ¿Y cuántos, cuántos puntos de predicación? Tenemos 364. 364. Células y casa culto. And, and house churches. El promedio de él son de 25 y 45 eh, miembros en esas células y casa culto. Like about, they might have about 25 members in the in the house churches or or more, like 45. Now I've told you some of this story. In, in order for a group of people to be known as a church, they have to get permission from the government, which means they have to go through a multi-step process to get from here to there. So that there are 33 churches just in eastern Cuba is amazing. But did you hear what he said? Preaching points are the sort of the opening stages, the, the sort of the seeds of a church, and there are over 300 of those just in eastern Cuba. And we have opportunity, we have opportunity to join with a trip, uh, Doug and Angie Fleming, who aren't here today, uh, but Doug and Angie are helping to coordinate the district effort, and they're going to put together a trip. So if you'd like to be a part, this is a historic movement. And um, the Church of the Nazarene enjoys the good favor of the Cuban government, believe it or not. We have met with them face to face, and they really like what the Church of the Nazarene about, is about. And here's why. Because when there are storms, the Church of the Nazarene is first on the scene to help clean up and to help rebuild and all that kind of stuff. And so the reputation is good, so the doors are flung wide open for us to come and for us to help build churches. How cool is that? We love you, and we love all of your people. And we are glad that you're here with us today. And I'm sorry the sermon's going to be so long. <laughs> Thank you, brother. It's good to see you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be that long. I'll have you out of here by one. I promise. 
Because it's not like we have an important thing to talk about or anything today. It's just adultery, right? Now, I, I want to make sure that uh, those of you in the room who aren't married don't opt out mentally or otherwise, okay? Because what stung me this week, what really struck me this week about this particular passage of Scripture is how absolutely corporate it is. Now, do you participate in lust or adultery individually? Yes. In fact, I will say individualistically is how you participate in those things. But covenants, that is teamwork. Covenant keeping is a team sort of sport, actually. Keep this in mind. The sermon series title is important. It is Kingdom Come, which is at the same time both a prayer and an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement in that in Christ, the kingdom has begun. Christ as its first citizen. The kingdom has begun. The kingdom has come. But it's also a prayer. We need more of this kingdom. And so we are given in the Sermon on the Mount ethics that we can practice practices that we can practice right now as we participate in Christ's kingdom toward that day when God finishes what God started. And we do believe that around here too, that God will finish what God has started. We believe that. But there are certain postures that we need to take as kingdom people in order to help live toward and move this kingdom toward God's ultimate hopes and dreams for it. Now, very quickly, you have seen this before. You know this, this is an iceberg thing. Most Christian preaching and teaching happens at the top of this where we just tell you to do things or not to do things. For example, sometimes people preach this passage of Scripture, and here's what they say at the end. Hey, don't do this, this adultery thing. Okay? Hear me say this. Don't do that. <laughs> don't commit adultery. But there's more to it. And the Sermon on the Mount wants to reach you at a deeper point than just your physical activity. It wants to talk to you about your imagination and also about how you understand the whole world. What story or worldview are you living out? For example, okay, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, says Jesus, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not so much judgment as it is observation. Remember, the kingdom is already... The kingdom is already. And Jesus is making this observation. If you don't have a better heart and mindset than the scribes and the Pharisees who are simply just living within the letter of the law, then you are not going to be a functioning member of this kingdom. And you're not going to help us move it toward God's greatest dreams and hopes for creation. You're just not going to. I said this to you uh, last week that what we're doing here is a little bit like uh, painting by numbers, okay? Here's what I mean. In Exodus 20:14, you see the admonition here, do not commit adultery. Now, where this is concerned, a lot of times what the scribes and the Pharisees did, well, they, they said, okay, don't commit adultery. But what Jesus wanted to say here is something much deeper. Not just don't, but let's have a worldview that helps us to understand why it's really important that we not commit Adultery. Now, I also uh, started this with you. This is sort of a series within a series. This is the Mona Lisa, worth an inordinate amount of money, just a lot of money. 
and this is a paint-by-number set, not worth as much money. The, the, the picture on the right is art. It is art. It, is, it comes from an artist's imagination and inspiration. The one on the left can be painted so long as you follow the directions. Now, I have an aspiring young artist who is helping me with a, a very intricate paint-by-numbers set. And I don't know if you can see this, but there are just a lot of different numbers in there telling this young artist where to paint and where not to paint. It is, it is going to be hard work. And slowly but surely, over the course of these next weeks, you're going to see this thing finally take shape. Because I want you to see, over a period of time, kind of what it looks like for a paint-by-numbers thing to happen. But at the end, it will be a paint-by-numbers painting. It will be somebody else's inspiration. The person painting this, as good as she is, is just following the directions. Somebody else's vision, you're just following the directions. Jesus' hope for our Christian life is that we would not just be following the directions, but that we would be co-artists. That we would be co-artists. Now, you can follow the directions and stay just within the boundaries. You can paint just within the lines and not be who God wants you to be. It's good to follow directions. It is really good if you can follow directions because sometimes it is hard to follow the directions, but God's dream for your life and my life and our life together is for more than just direction following, rule keeping. God aspires for us to be co-creators, artists. I found this video. It's from the... Um, Cincinnati Academy of Art, or the Art Academy of Cincinnati, something like that. And I love what it says at the very beginning and the very end. And it's like a three-minute video. And I want you to see the difference between painting by numbers and art. So take a look at this.
Now, I love that last little statement. Okay? We make artists. The church, powered by the Spirit, is in the business not of teaching you to do paint by numbers, but we're in the business of making art and artists. Not just people who follow the directions, but people who have caught the vision of what it is that God's trying to do with God's life, what God is trying to do in Christ and what this kingdom is supposed to be like. And we as a church have tried as best we can to organize ourselves, not just to give you the capacity to paint by numbers. You probably didn't need to come to church to know how to paint by numbers. But you may need the imagination and the inspiration to make art and to be an artist. Now, let me continue to unpack what I mean here. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Here's where he is acknowledging the paint by number sort of thing, okay? But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, a couple of things you got to know before we get to this incredible piece of art over here. A couple things you got to know. Adultery in ancient times. Now, I'm talking about Old Testament times, but even in Christ's era, adultery, <laughs> adultery was perpetrated when someone had a sexual encounter with a married woman. Now, this is not going to seem fair to you, okay? In the Old Testament in particular, a married man could mess around. That's not called adultery. That might be stupid, but it's not called adultery. And in fact, in some place in the Old Testament, it wasn't even called stupid, was it? They were just sort of accepted. Some of our greatest Old Testament heroes had girlfriends. If you're aware of that, right? This is not new. Is this, if this is new, come see me afterwards. I'll help you to feel better about what it says. In Jesus' time, it was still a very paternalistic society, and women did not count as much. In Jesus' time, it was adultery when someone had sex with a married woman. Now, in Jesus' time, when a married man had sex with someone not his wife, it, by that time, it was starting, this is not a great thing. It's not good for your marriage. To, and by the way, it's still not good for your marriage. But when someone had sex with a married woman, that was not just a sin against that one person, but against a whole other family. And there's a sense in which if you had sex with another married woman, then you are in some sense stealing from somebody else. But Jesus says, <laughs> we're going to do this kingdom thing differently. We'll have a very different ethic. In fact, what he's saying here is women count so much that I want to hold the men accountable to the thoughts that they think. My friend Kent Hathaway did this sculpture. Now, I need to give you some, some idea of what you're kind of looking at here. Let's see here. There we go. This is what I'm going to, to kind of parade around here, and I promise I will carry it properly, Kent. I promise I will. Because he told me there are right ways and wrong ways to carry a sculpture. Don't carry a sculpture by up here or right here. Carry it from the bottom. Right? Does that make some sense? Now, from the back, this probably looks like two people leaning in for the kiss. And it really kind of is. But maybe what you can't see is that in all actuality, what's happening here is these two people are holding masks up to the other. 
We're holding masks up to the other. Why? Well, because that's kind of what lust does. See, if I can hold a mask up to you, then I don't have to care so much about what your name is, what you're really like, what your family's like. If I can hold this mask up to you, then I can kind of get what my body wants without ever really taking thought or taking stock of your real person, your humanity, your situation. Does that make some sense? You know, this, this sermon is to some extent about lust, and, and obviously we could talk for a long time about that, and I have a lot to say about that. I need to say a couple of things before we move on to what I think is, is the larger view that's going on here. I need to say this to you. I don't think that we have done sex ed in the church very well. I don't think we have. I, and I got an, of all places to get an amen, I got an amen right there. Here, here is what we have said to our young people, and you've heard me kind of, I've, I've been on this soapbox before, but here's what we've said to our young people. Don't. Don't. Now, no and don't is an essential part of the message, but when no and don't is the only part of the message or the ministry, we actually expose our kids to problems and temptation that they would not be exposed to otherwise. Because here's the thing, you are God created to be sexual beings. You are God created to have sexual interests. No amen there? That's a good place for an amen there, that really is. <laughs> You're created. Young men are created to not only acknowledge, man, she is beautiful, but also created to understand her to be sexually attractive. Folks, it's not yet sin. But when we have called that sin <laughs> and we have stopped the conversation there, I think we have moved our young people into harm's way. And so here's what we ought to do to combat lust. While we're saying no and don't, don't take someone with a name and with the past, with a family connection, don't subtract all of that. Don't subtract all of that so they lose all human dignity. We should be saying no, don't do that. But if we aren't following that up with a system of growing a person and forming the spirit, if we're not, if we're not accentuating that message with this whole process and whole lifelong um, experience of spiritual formation, then we're setting people up to fail. Here's how you combat lust with a sense of Christian love. So that when that young person acknowledges the beauty and the desirability of that other person, all of the work that we've done in spiritual formation still allows me to see that beautiful person as having a first name, a middle name, a last name, Brothers, sisters, a past, a future. In other words, I think it takes a whole lot longer for us to combat lust than we like to admit. It takes a lot of pre-work, and it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of work after. And when we opt for no, 
then we send our young people, and by the way, also our adults, out into the world, ill-equipped to deal Christianly with sexuality. And you know what you get? Heartache. Heartache. Now, having said all of that, I want you to know that um, there's more to this than just a discussion of lust. There's more to be said there, and maybe I'll say it again some other time, but I want to talk to you now about the seven weddings I've been a part of this summer. I love weddings. I mean, Jason and I kind of have this agreement. If he'll do most of the funerals, I'll do most of the weddings. (laughs) The older I get, the older I get, the more I'm concerned about the wedding I'm sorry, the more I'm concerned about the marriage as opposed to the wedding. I'm sorry. If you're aspiring to get married here and you want me to be your minister, I'll do it. But I will immediately be more concerned about the marriage than the wedding. And, and, now I I do a lot of my weddings here. I've I've been to some beautiful ones that weren't here. But I do a lot of them here. And not only am I more concerned about the marriage than the wedding, but when I stand here, typically I'm standing and I've got a bride and a groom right here. And something's happening as I get older. I see you all more and more and more. I'm, uh, I don't know if anything will come of it or not, but I'm a part of a group of people, and I'm trying to drag some others here into this discussion about how the Church of the Nazarene understands sacraments. And currently, the church only has uh, two sacred ceremonies that we acknowledge in the manual as being sacramental, and that's baptism and Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. I am fighting to get marriage in there. (laughs) You know, if a sacrament is how we hope to demonstrate the visibility and the presence of God, then shouldn't a wedding ceremony be sacramental? It seems like it should, so I'm, I'm lobbying for that. So you just, just know that I'm, I'm kind of pushing that way. I, I do think it's sacramental, and I think it's sacramental in that it's also a great time for the church body to be the church body. Do you know that all marriages that happen within our fellowship are your responsibility Two people know that. Maybe you didn't. It's possible you didn't hear it over here. Know this. When people get married here, their marriage vows, certainly, those people communicating those vows to one another, certainly, they're on the hook for those vows, but so are we. Yeah, we're on the hook for their vows. Those whom God has joined together, let no one ever separate. That's out of Matthew chapter 19. Do you know why we bother to say this, both in Scripture and in a wedding ceremony? Because it is possible for people to have (laughs) a damaging effect on someone else's marital vows. It is possible. Now, I feel like we're kind of shying away from this corporate sense of responsibility for marriages. And by the way, if you're single in the room, if you've opted out, then you're not paying attention. 
Because you don't have to be married to accept responsibility, obviously, for the marital vows that have been spoken across the room. A single person can have a destructive, explosive effect in somebody else's marital vows. Amen? So everybody's included. Teenagers are included. Teenagers, I think, you guys need to understand that you can either help or hurt the marriages around you. We all need to understand that we all have the opportunity to help or hurt the marriages around us. And this ethic that comes from the kingdom, the now but not yet kingdom, that comes crashing into our, into our present day from the future goes something like this. In the kingdom, we will recognize, we'll be so aware of our interconnectedness that your vows that you make to your significant other will matter to me and I will work and use my whole body to somehow protect that flame. I love this image of the guy who's trying to light a cigarette in a blowing wind, right? Have you ever seen that? I mean, he's using his whole body, he's using his suit coat, he's doing everything he can to get that cigarette lit. I have seen people spend more time and energy getting a cigarette lit than than protecting the flame of their marriage or somebody else's marriage. What if we used our whole bodies in the same way to protect marriages? I know, I'm going to seem, I'm going to seem way old-fashioned here in a second, and I'm happy to be so. I hate those commercials, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I hate them with every fiber of my being. I hate them. They take dead aim at covenant every time. Take a look at this. Oh, we need the sound. Anyone present has reason to believe these two should not be wed. Let them speak now or forever hold their peace. No one? Okay, moving on. They're at a wedding. (laughs) They're about to, you know, we don't say that anymore in the modern wedding ceremony. We don't say that anymore. Here's where that phrase came from. It's actually in an old, old book of common prayer. (laughs) And it might have been the case that someone did not pay the dowry. And some might say, well, the the dowry's not been paid. I don't think they should get married yet. Or someone might say, wait, I think that's a third cousin. I really don't think they should get married. (laughs) It's actually, actually what would happen. But we seem to have taken it out for fear of that really awkward situation. And no one wants to have an awkward situation in the wedding. We much prefer the awkward situations in our marriages. So we've taken it out. I've added a couple of lines in the ceremony that I do So after, this is in the part of the ceremony called the Declaration of Intent. And in the Declaration of Intent, I asked the bride and the groom, do you really want to marry this person? And so say, I do. Okay, I do. And then I say, parents and members of these two families, 
Will you now promise to bless, support, encourage, and uphold these vows they make today, remembering your continued connection, understanding your roles and responsibilities in this household and in the building of the kingdom? If so, will you answer, we will? And sometimes I get a pretty strong we will because parents, parents seem to understand that they have some role and responsibility for this very young marriage. Because I don't know if you know this, but people who get married have no idea what they're getting into. And then I say this, congregation and family of faith, you play an important role today and in the days to come. Will you do all in your power to support and protect this marriage and the vows they make today? If so, will you answer, we will. And the answer is okay, but it's never as strong as it needs to be. Seatbelts, everybody, it's about, to get, it's about to get real in here, okay? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, what in the world, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Surely, surely, Christ does not mean to gouge out one's right eye. Surely not. Now, there has been this debate, actually. <laughs> this, this, is this what, what Christ really meant? Did he really mean to self-mutilate here? I don't think so. But, 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 I think you get the gist of it. If you recognize that there is something around you that might open the door for you to have a deleterious effect on the covenantal vows that somebody else makes, you need to get rid of it like Facebook. In 2011, one out of every three divorce cases in a court of law referenced Facebook. There is a direct correlation between the use of social media and the health of your marriage. Now, it is crazy. <laughs> it's 2014. Who's going to gouge their eye out? Great point. How many of you have the integrity to lose your Facebook account if you see that it can be a way, and not just your own marriage might suffer, but somebody else's marriage might suffer? Some of you would rather lose your right eye than your Facebook account. I mean, nobody here, but I'm saying still there are people out there. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to, to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Remember, hell is this Gehenna, this place outside the city wall, which is worthlessness. Surely, <laughs> if Jesus doesn't mean for us to self-mutilate and lose an eye, certainly we should not lose our right hands. Surely not. But I bet some of you would rather lose your right hand than your smartphone. See, your right hand is how you reach out and take that which your eye has seen. So Facebook serves as the eye, and sometimes the smartphone is the way that you reach out and touch, or contact, or grab. 
Some of you would rather, some of you <laughs> would miss your smartphone before you'd miss your right hand. Should we all delete our Facebook accounts? Should we all get rid of our smartphones? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that at some point, as a co-creator and as an artist that God dreams for you to be, you have to develop the integrity to see when it is that you have crossed a line or where the danger places are where you might cross a line. And if you see where those places are and you cannot handle your Facebook account, please have the Christian integrity and decency to get rid of your Facebook account and go back to the flip phone. And if that won't work, if a flip phone even allows you to be in touch like you shouldn't, then go back to smoke signals or whatever, carrier pigeons or something. But you need to have the integrity to rid yourself of the opportunity to damage your own covenant and anybody else's covenant. So I stand up here a lot. Good-looking young man, beautiful bride. Now I want you to think about this for a second. Just think about it. It's awful, but I want you to consider it. Five years down the road, this beautiful bride who's now a mom of one, still a good-looking guy. But imagine the size of the pond and the ripples in the pond if somebody else in the fellowship has an affair with this young woman. It's not just this family that's exploded, is it? A lot of different families that are exploded if somebody over there has an affair with someone right here. Yeah, we're connected. And you know you can have an impact on somebody else's covenant, somebody else in the room, because you know you can have a devastatingly negative impact on someone else's covenant, right? Well, if you can have a devastatingly negative impact on someone else's covenant, then you can have a positive impact on their covenant. And what Jesus seems to be saying at the bottom of that iceberg, it's, it's fascinating, but Jesus seems to be saying this. We're a different kind of people. We're a different kind of people. We're a different kind of kingdom. Jesus says, I'm a different kind of king. Very different. And in this different kind of kingdom, other people's vows matter to us. I know that the world, especially our current world, seems to say, take care of your own business. But in the kingdom, sometimes this is the message from Christ. Take care of your own business and take care of their business as well as you possibly can. Encourage and help and protect Yes, I want you to use your whole body to protect that flame that is your marriage. I also, and I think Christ also expects that you would use your entire person to protect somebody else's flame of covenantal love, whether you're married or not, because that's what a church is. That's what the kingdom is. So you need to care about, care about their vows. And you need to use your bodies to protect their vows. And obviously you guys too. I just this was easier to do like that. 
my class of young adults, can you imagine the absolute carnage if there was an affair in the class? It would take generations before that was somehow settled. See, it's not as simple as just don't commit adultery, is it? That's just you staying within your lines. And if you can sit down at night having said, well, another day in the books, did not commit adultery today. You have not done all that Christ dreams for us to do as the people of God. That's my favorite church. I love that bunch of people. There are so many stories there. So many great stories there. (laughs) There are also some very hard stories there, some very ugly chapters and some otherwise really good stories. My hope is The length of time that we're together as pastor and congregation, which I hope stretches into the 23rd century, right? My hope is that together we'll explore what it means to be the body, corporate. My hope is that Christianity will be a team sport for us, that we will understand how deeply connected we are as the body and then explore the different ways that we're connected with people who aren't here. And so you're going to hear this line over and over again. Brandon, go ahead and come on up. And I want to ask you to stand, if you would. I'm going to read off this line again that I read in all of the wedding ceremonies that I do, especially. You know what? I I am more and more nervous about doing a wedding for folks who will not be around in my orbit so that I can help shepherd the marriage. I'll still do it, but I'm more nervous about it. Because I think every time somebody gets married in front of us, whether it's here or out on the farm or wherever it is, I I think anytime somebody who's connected to us gets married, I think we all need to add to our, now I know this sounds exhausting, but we all need to add to our responsibility list. Okay, now I gotta protect Zach and Jenna. Now i got to protect this couple, and this couple, and this couple. Blake and Mandy. Stephen and Tamara. John and Kelly. John and Karen. Jason and Katie. I want my marriage to be on your responsibility list. We need you to help protect this covenant, and we will help protect yours. So congregation and family of faith, you play an important role today and in the days to come. Will you do all in your power to support and protect these marriages and the vows that have been made throughout time? If so, will you answer with the big strong, we will. We will. I hope that you'll find a place to pray for a marriage. Now, these side altars are going to be open 
for prayers for healing. Now, obviously, we mean physical healing, but we mean relational healing, too. So these side altars are open and reserved for you, and someone will meet you there and anoint you with oil. The rest of these altars, these other wooden altars, are reserved for people who want to pray. And today, I want you to pray for a marriage. I want you to find one. You don't have to be married to pray for a marriage. I want you to pray for a marriage, and you don't have to come up here either. I know you can do it back there, but when you come up here, you'll get this deep, deep, deep suspicion that you don't pray alone, and you won't be praying alone. Pray that God weaves us together in ways that allow us to see one another's vows as our responsibility. Heavenly Father, move us to prayer. Yes, yes, for our own marriages. (laughs) But God, move us to prayer also for those around us who are married, for those who are contemplating marriage. May we start now for those people using our lives and our bodies to protect the flame of covenantal love. Give us some idea of what it is that you're after. You're obviously after more than just the simple paint-by-numbers approach that we don't commit adultery. You're after something more, something better, but God would confess that we need a glimpse of what that something might be. And so move us to pray for marriages. Bring to our minds and our hearts names and faces. A marriage who could use the help and the hope. Now as Brandon plays, you're going to sing as well. Now as Brandon plays and sings, I want to invite you now to find a place to pray. Kira and Preston, once you go ahead and come on up and take a place, and we will surround you as well. But find a place, and you can go ahead and find a posture of prayer as you are comfortable. You can stand if you'd like. You can kneel where you are if you'd like. You can do whatever you'd like, and you can come at any point. I want to invite you to come and pray as God brings to mind the name or the face of a couple needing prayer. person. You don't have to know what to say. You never have had to know what to say. You just need to be present.
Christianity is mostly about Christ-like presence. So if you see someone up here that you could pray with, even if you're silent, then please come and find that person now. Otherwise, I want to invite you to take a posture that is, again, most comfortable for you. You are certainly welcome to remain standing or to kneel where you are or to come at any time that you'd like during this short season of prayer to come and join us here. seated in your pews I'm begging you to pray this prayer in support of someone's marriage that God would be able to use you to protect the flame Father, we're so grateful for, for people who are so insistent that they follow your call. We're grateful for their example and their leadership to us. We're grateful for Preston and for Kira. God, we don't know what they will face in the next several months and years but we do know that you will be a companion to them. May they also know of our companionship as well. God, would you use them and fulfill them and shape them? Would you bind them closer together as husband and wife to prepare them for ministry? God, thank you for their contribution here. We pray that they would be the same kind of blessing to another local church sooner rather than later. And God, we have all come today with a burden for a particular marriage. Single people and married people alike, we have a name. We have a couple of names or faces. You have burned into our minds, and so we will take a couple of seconds now to pray as specifically as we know how, that you would somehow use us to nourish, nurture, support their marital vows. Would you pray right now for those people? Give us a glimpse, some idea of what you meant when you said it's more than just not committing adultery. Give us some kind of glimpse of what it is that you're after. 
this kingdom glimpse. In fact, God, give us such a vision that we might be co-artists, co-creators of this kingdom that is, but isn't quite yet. sure you're all aware of someone who's in need of a physical touch today, someone sick or hurt. Let's pray for Glenn Fain as he continues to recover from what looks to be a stroke. But you may have someone else that you need to pray for. I want to get out of the way so that you can pray for him or for her right now. prayers that this would be a place of covenant, a place that reveres covenants of all kind. Our hope is that our kids and our students would understand the powerful nature of a covenant, and our hope is that we as a church would equip them to not only make covenants, but also live into covenants. Our prayer is that our kids and our students and our adults of all ages would be shaped to be people who understand the necessity of protecting covenants. Because, God, we're doing something that you want us to do, we're creating, along with you, a new way of being alive. An interconnected, interdependent way of being alive. Remind us, God, as we pray this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Remind us that slowly but surely you are moving us and along with you we are helping to move this kingdom. And so now we will pray. We will close this season of prayer with the Lord's Prayer using the words debts and debtors. So I want to encourage you now to pray this along with me as we close. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.